Ephesians, from death to life. Have you ever gone out to eat and left hungry? Let me just see a show show of hands. Anybody ever gone out to eat? You paid for the meal. You even spent good money for the meal. But when you walked away, you're like, I can still eat some more. I am not quite fully satisfied, right? One of those places that maybe you pay a lot, the bill is really big, but the portion is tiny, right? I I went to a place downtown Cincinnati a little while back and and I ordered this thing that sounded amazing and and I I think there was some seafood involved and I'm like, oh, this sounds legit. And the plate comes and it's like three bites, right? And I don't know about you, but the men like to eat. And so I, I, I left hungry. And it was just like, ah, it's kind of that letdown, you know, when you pay a lot, but you're still not satisfied. But we live in in a transactional world, don't we? And when we pay good money for a meal, we expect to leave satisfied. And when we don't, you know, maybe we might talk to the the waiter or waitress or the manager and, um, you know, and and we might communicate how our expectation wasn't fulfilled and and we get discouraged. Sometimes we get mad and maybe even want our money back if it's not just right. You know, there's this transaction kind of mindset going on. But too many times we give God a try like a restaurant. We give God a try like a restaurant and we give him and his church and even people that follow him and call themselves Christ followers, we give them reviews, don't we? Right? Maybe we don't post them online. Maybe we don't actually do the the one-star review and type out a, a, a rant. You know, maybe we don't do that. But maybe in our head, we think, well, that wasn't what I expected. Or, man, I left church today, and and man, I sure didn't get fed by the pastor today. Right? And because we live in such a transactional culture, that tends to bleed over into our relationship with Christ many times. And so, if we go to church and it just didn't sit right or didn't meet our expectation or our preference, we just give it a one-star review and move on. Maybe we even gave it a few years. Maybe even our whole childhood. Maybe we get into adulthood and and we just start to think, you know, well, the problem must be with God. Maybe I'm following the wrong one. Maybe the problem is with the church. Or maybe it's that pastor. Or maybe I've, I've, I've been following the wrong religion altogether. Right? Maybe I'll just try another. Or maybe I'll just bow out altogether and not go back to religion at all. On the other side, some of us, we think that, man, I could never go to church. Right? I could never go to church because God could never forgive me for what I've done. You know, I've literally heard people say that they feel like if they walked in that to the church, the roof would fall on their heads. Or that they get struck by lightning, (laughs) right? And that God would never allow them to be in a relationship with him. And so we're left wondering, where do we stand with God, right? Maybe we've given the verdict on God and the church or, or, and following Jesus. And, or maybe, you know, we've, we've given ourselves our own verdict and we're like, man, I, I don't think I could stand in his presence. He would never approve of me, Right? And so we're left wondering where we stand. 
where we stand. Well, we're going to learn from Ephesians today where we stand. And I'm first I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell it to you, right? But where, we, where do we stand? We stand under an amazingly generous outpouring of God's blessing and provision. Too many times when we come to church or when we follow Christ, we live from a place of scarcity, right? You know, there used to be an old commercial that, that said, a little dabble do ya, right? Maybe some of you remember that long time ago. Well, it doesn't work like that when it comes to Christianity. You know, some of us just want a little church to just appease the conscience. Some of us just want a little religion or a little bit of God just to make ourselves feel a little bit better or to make our grandma or our mom or our spouse feel better. But God's not like that. Because when God generously outpoured his love and his grace and his provision and his blessings into your life and mine, it wasn't just a little dabble, do you? It, was, it wasn't just a sprinkle It was the whole bucket. It was the whole ocean. It was complete immersion. That's why I love immersion baptism like we did today. It's like, man, we're going all the way under. Every single part of us is getting wet. And that's a picture of God's blessing in your life. How do we comprehend this though? And this is a lot of times where the plot clots with us is how do we comprehend this grace and this provision and this blessing enough to apply it to our life? And that's when prayer comes in because through prayer, our minds are transformed right? And we go from a place of taking God for granted to a place of really understanding and diving into how good he really is. Because a love this big, grace this big, blessings this big, should completely wreck our lives in a good way, in the best way possible. But so many times we're indifferent and we're like, eh, right? Could take it or leave it. Or the cares of this life rob the joy or the schedule or the, the, the bills or the, the worries and, and the hours and all of that, right? And then the last thing we're going to talk about today is why we stand where we stand with God. And we stand where we stand with God today because of his grace and only his grace, which is so good. Sometimes, though, our surroundings, our culture, our circumstances, they cloud our view of Christ. And it's hard to see his greatness through all the junk that we're surrounded with. And man, if you feel that way today, I'm with you. Man, sometimes it's just hard. It's hard to to look at the world and everything that's going on and be like, God, where is your greatness? Where is your blessing? Where is your provision? Because all I see is brokenness, right? The Ephesians that we're going to talk about today were no different. Ephesus, the town where the Ephesians were, and the region to where this letter was written, it was a cultural center. It was a, a city on the, on the a western coast of modern-day Turkey, right across the, the sea from Greece. And so it was a cultural center. The temple of Artemis or Diana, the Greek goddess, was built there. And this temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so it was a draw. It was a place that people went for commerce and and religious things. It had a huge religious economy. People there literally made their money off people's devotion to a false god. And this particular false god, Diana, 
Uh, she had kind of this grotesque head and, and she had these symbols of fertility. And, and so a lot of the worship of her, her, her was, was very uh, sensual and, and, and just pagan. And it was very transactional. Like I, you would purchase something to worship the God. And so transactional relationships, kind of like I talked about earlier, were commonplace then, but in a very kind of ugly kind of way. The newfound church in Ephesus, they had heard the gospel from a preacher called Apollos. And man, immediately they just got on fire for God. And then, and then Paul came and continued to teach them and disciple them. And this newfound church and believers caused huge waves in the economy, in the social and religious landscape. And why? Because they discovered that we don't need this transactional relationship anymore with the gods. We have Jesus and his grace is free and we get to accept free life with him and an abundant life and forgiveness of sin and all of our guilt and shame removed. And guess what? It's all been paid for already because Jesus died on the cross for me. And so they came alive into Christ. They're causing waves. They're telling everybody about Jesus and the community is on fire for God. And so this letter that we're reading was written to the believers there. Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome. Paul had spent three years in Ephesus, three years with them, teaching, debating, you know, evangelizing, preaching the gospel. And that, that time is described in Acts chapter 18 through 20. And so if, you're, if you want to study more about it and what, what it actually looked like when Paul was in Ephesus, you can go to those chapters and read about it. But sometime after those three years, Paul gets uh, taken to pr you know, prison in Rome and he begins writing letters to churches. While Paul was in Ephesus, all kinds of miracles happened. One that is most noted is the Ephesians, the believers that used to participate in all kinds of sorcery and witchcraft. They took these books that had all their incantations and all of their, their pagan rituals and things. And they brought all those books to the town square and they had a bonfire and they burned them all. And the worth of those books in that day was millions of dollars. And so all the transactional nature stuff was out the door. And these people are finding a real relationship with Christ and real change is happening in their life. Now, this was a hard place to be a Christian. There was persecution. The people that made money off the temple for the, 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 the goddess Diana, they were hacked off. <laughs> they were not happy because they were losing business. People were coming to Christ. They were not you know, purchasing um, you know, things at the temple anymore or for temple worship. And so persecution was building. Persecution was not only, building, not only building there in Ephesus, it was building all across the Roman Empire. And the wave of persecution that was happening would eventually take the lives of both Paul, the one writing this letter, and Peter, one of the apostles of Christ. One theologian said that Paul's ministry in Ephesus could be uh, described by five words, time, tears, trials, teaching, and testifying. Man, what a description. Not easy. 
It was a tough road being a missionary and creating churches where there were none and leading people to follow Christ. But Paul had spent a lot of time there, three years. He cared for these people immensely. He had invested deeply, but he knew that there was more for them to know, understand, and apply as they followed Christ. And so after three years of investment, here's what Paul had to say to them. And so he begins to write this letter. So the first thing that we see from this first section, and we're going to read it together, but we see that God doesn't just see me or know me, and this is how you're going to apply it to your life. God doesn't just see me, fill it in in the blanks in your notes or on the app, um, check it out there. God doesn't just see me or know about me. He is generously pouring out blessings in my life. You know, many times we look at our life when we ask, does God see me? Does he even understand what I'm going through? Why is he letting these things happen? Is he indifferent? Is he just testing me? Is he playing games with my life? Has anybody ever been there? Listen to this in Ephesians 1, 3. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, underline that, in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before the world was made, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Think about that. It gives God great pleasure to be with you, to know you, to do things for you. So, we praise God for this glorious grace he has poured out on us. Poured out. Think about that. He's dumping the bucket. He's got the fire hose, and he's just, he's spraying you down. He's pouring it out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich. Think about the language here. So rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. I don't know about you, but my faith is being built and I'm beginning to wonder, is there anything God hasn't given me? Come on now. God has now revealed to us his, myster his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And so if you're wondering, man, what's wrong with this world? Is everything ever going to come together? It will. Under the authority of Christ when he wants it. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance. Man, love that. An inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance. And he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you his Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee. You think about the, the QVC, right? Guaranteed or your money back. Come on now. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that 
He has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. And therein we find the purpose of our life, right? Every spiritual blessing. He poured out his grace. He showered kindness, wisdom, and understanding on you. He's given you an inheritance. He says that you are chosen. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is no lack of provision when it comes to God showing up for you and for me. I hope that's what you get out of this today. That if you think God is indifferent to you, then if you think you haven't gotten your money's worth, that if you think that, man, you're just about to give up and back out, Listen, it's not a transactional relationship. Why? Because he paid the bill, he settled the bill, and he's given you the gift, and there's nothing you have to do. He's just giving it to you. Isn't that amazing? Come on now. It's awesome. And so I can't, as a, in good conscience, leave these amazing provisions on the shelf or take them for granted as a believer. I can't. I can't do it. I can't let my knowledge about God's love become religious fodder. What's fodder? It's food, especially dried hay or feed for cattle and other livestock. You know what they do? They just chew and chew and it's mindless and it's tasteless and it's just, eh. That's how we treat church a lot of time. Just religious fodder. It's just like, ah, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just doing it because I have to. It's all I have to eat. So I'm just going through it. No, can't do that. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, based on this passage, he's blessed us immensely. He chose us unconditionally. He adopted us adoringly. He redeemed us graciously. He forgave us completely. He showed grace to us lavishly. He revealed, he revealed his mystery wisely. He granted us an inheritance eternally. He sealed us permanently and he guaranteed our salvation personally. If you ever think that God isn't enough for you, if you ever think that what he has for you isn't enough or that you're gonna be more satisfied elsewhere, you need to come back to this passage and, and let God shower you once again with his blessings. So the question then becomes, what do I do with it? You ever think that at church? You hear something that sounds really, really good, maybe even too good to be true, and you're like, now what? What in the world do I do? How do I access these blessings? How do I access these provisions? Man, if this is where I stand with God, chosen, forgiven, blessed, how do I get in on it? How do I begin to experience this in my life? I'm glad you asked. Number two, fill in the blanks. Prayer helps me understand and apply God's power to my life. Come on, prayer. And we see this in Paul's writing. Let's continue to read. He says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. If Paul is praying for them constantly, that's a key, a, a indication to us that prayer changes things. It's important, it matters, and it brings us closer to Christ. So what did he pray? He's asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. 
I pray that your hearts will be flooded. Here we go with the, with the, with the um, big language again, the provisional language, the, the, uh, the amazing blessing kind of language. He's flooding, you know, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you could understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray, he keeps going, that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us, for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Now that's a big statement. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to these people that the very center of their city is a temple to a false god. And Paul is saying, hey, he's bigger. Don't forget that your God is bigger than the gods of this world. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, which is you and me. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Wow. Wow. And so what do we see from that? If this is what Paul is praying for them, it's probably also a key to what is going to happen in our life. That as we pray and as we seek the face of God and as we get serious about our prayer life, what's going to happen? Spiritual wisdom and insight is going to happen and I'm going to begin to grow, right? My heart is going to be flooded with light instead of negativity, instead of all the the junk, instead of all the stuff that, that pulls us down in this world. When we pray, God fills our lives with his glory. Why? So that we can understand the confident hope that we have. Man, I'm not very smart. But I could deduce from this passage that if I don't have a prayer life, that my understanding of God and his word will be limited. But when I pray and when we pray for each other, our understanding of God's word and the things of God will grow. Some of you maybe think I tried church. I tried living for Jesus. I tried it all. I tried prayer and I just never really got anywhere. Don't give up. Don't give up. Pray big prayers. Ask God for wisdom. God said every time you ask him for wisdom, he's going to answer that prayer. Don't give up. Because the Bible says when we pray, prayers like this, God's going to answer. So what do we get when we pray? Spiritual wisdom, insight, growth, right? We see that understanding of God's word isn't automatic. You ever thought, man, I've been sitting in church for a lot of years and I still don't understand what in the world the pastor's talking about. Anybody been there? Come on, I've been there too, right? I don't get it. Yeah, I wanna challenge you to do something. Pray. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for insight. Ask God for understanding and see and watch him show up. Love it. Man, I remember, it's clear as day, a lot of services when I was a teenager sitting in youth group. And man, in those very formative years of my faith, 
multiple times as my youth pastor was preaching or as my dad was preaching in, in main service or, or whatever, my, that, that feeling of my heart being flooded with light as the scripture came alive in my life. Stay faithful. Come to church. Get on your knees at home. Pray and ask God for understanding. When it comes to prayer, you have not because you ask not. Prayer leads to greater understanding. Prayer leads to good things. So don't insult a big God with small prayers. If you don't understand, ask God. I'm going to say something kind of bold here. There's only so much that you can learn from man when it comes to spiritual things. Some things have to be experienced. You could come and listen to me for years and years and years, but you need to experience these things for yourself. And that only happens when you open God's word and you digest it and you pray about it and seek the face of God. You need to seek the Holy Spirit, that guarantee that Christ has given us. You need to experience God. God is not an academic thing to be studied. He's a person to be known. And so prayer helps me understand and apply God's power to my life. And so I encourage you to, sp- to begin, if you haven't already, a lifelong habit of spending time in prayer every day. Number three, as we close today. So we talked about where we stand. We talked about how, right? How do we understand this, this, these mysteries, right? How do we comprehend it? Because it's almost too big to even get our heads around. And now we're gonna talk about why we stand there. Why would God give us all this? Why would he shower his grace on us like this? Number three, God's grace is the fuel to a life lived for God's glory. Bad things happen in the life of a believer when they forget God's grace. We get pious, we get pharisaical, we get hard-hearted. The Pharisees were the, the people in the, in the New Testament that were never happy with anything that Jesus did because they were really religious, right? And so, I don't know about you, but reminders are powerful things. Reminders. I love all the reminders I have set up on my phone. (laughs) If it weren't for them, uh, I'd be a a basket case, right? I love my journal that I take notes in. It helps me remember things. I love my computer and my calendar and all the bells and whistles that help me remember. I love my son, Levi. Um, He's kind of, if you met Levi, you know, he's kind of like like that squirrel. He's all over the place. Um, But he's a great kid and he loves Jesus. But you know, one of the things that I just love is that every single Monday night, I think it is, see, I don't even remember because he does it for me. Um, you know how sometimes it's like, man, I wish my kids could remember to take out the trash. And, and I've been there. But ever since he got this watch, right, he set an, a reminder on his watch for Monday and to take out the trash, like to the curb. And he like has never forgotten. It's amazing. I'm like, Hey, where would we be if it wasn't for the reminder? And, I'm, and I asked him one day, I'm like, Levi, how in the world do you always remember it and you don't forget? He's like, I got the reminder on my watch, Dad. He's like, I just snooze it. You know, <laughs> I just snooze it until I actually walk out there and do it. And I'm like, Levi, you're amazing, right? 
Reminders are powerful things. Imagine where your life would be without them. You got your apps, you got your journals, you got your planners, you got your sticky notes. How many sticky note people you got out there? They're all over the place, right? You've got your spouse. (laughs) That was a joke. The one reminding you all the time. Where would we be without them? Reminders are guardrails for your thoughts. They ensure that the important things happen. Remember, Paul had been with the Ephesians for three years, teaching them, investing, discipling with them. And they obviously still needed this reminder. They still needed it, which means if he had been with them for three years, teaching and instructing and guiding, then you and I probably need this reminder as well. So what did he say? He said, once you were dead. Think about that church. Before you knew Jesus, maybe some of you, you have not yet met Christ and, and you know what it feels like to be alive physically but spiritually dead. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Come on, somebody. All of us. Every single person in this room, me included. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God, come on. But God, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. He loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. He loves you. Don't you forget it. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Some of you need to underline that, highlight it, circle it, take a picture of it and post it. Some of you just need to remember that today that we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Love it. What a stark contrast. We were dead, now we're alive. Dark to light. Dark to light. Come on, freedom. It's an amazing miracle that so much of the time we take for granted. That so much of the time we leave and in our hearts and in our minds, we give a lackluster review. When this should be the fuel that guides and fills our Christian life. Uh, Listen, a life that 
acknowledges God's grace is full of grace for others. Full of it, overflowing with it, right? God's grace saved you. God's the artist of your life. He's writing an amazing story. He chose you. He's working his glory out through you. You're a masterpiece. And so who are you to argue? Sometimes we're just like, ah, yeah, God saved me, but I'm still such a mess, right? We say things about that, like, uh, you know, about ourselves like that. And I just wanna encourage you today, hey, quit trashing God's art with your words, your thoughts, or attitudes about yourself or others. Be careful how you talk about yourself. Be careful about how you talk about others. Why? Because God loves them so much. God loved you so much that he died in your place on a cross, that he showered you with grace, that he poured out his blessings on you so that you could have a relationship with him. You are a masterpiece. God paid a high price to save your soul. Jesus went to the cross and suffered an unimaginable death so that we can be free. And someone needs to apply that grace to their life today. Someone, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. God's poured out blessings in our life, spiritual blessings. Prayer is the key to understanding it. And grace is the fuel so we can live it. Somebody here today needs to take a step from death to life and give their hearts and lives to Jesus. Someone needs to say, Jesus, I accept this free gift of grace that you're giving me. God, I want in on all this amazing blessing that you're offering for free. The bill is completely paid. That means that if you are somebody who has never given your life to Christ and you are still dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, not physically dead, but spiritually dead, you recognize the fact that you are a sinner that needs a savior. If that's you today and you feel God drawing you, to begin a relationship with him and to accept this free gift of salvation. If that's you today, man, I wanna pray with you. Can you, you raise your hand and just say, Joe, that's me. I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Amen, amen. Anybody else? Say, today's my day to accept that free gift of grace and begin following Jesus. Amen, amen. If you wanna do that today, if you raised your hand, if you're online right now watching from home or or wherever you're at, and you'd like to invite Jesus Christ in your life today, I want you on your own in your seat right now to pray a prayer just like this. And you can say it in your own words, but the Bible is really clear what we need to do to accept Christ. We need to confess with our mouth that we are a sinner and that we need a savior. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved, right? And so today, right at your seat, you can pray a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. I give my life to you right now. I believe that you died on the cross for me to pay the debt of my sin. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. I trust you now with my life. I wanna follow you the rest of my life. I give my life wholeheartedly to you. 
Help me as I read your word and pray to understand it and follow it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you pray to pray, pray to prayer like that today, you are a new creature in Christ. You're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And that's a really good day. Amen. Can we give those that gave their lives to Christ a big hand today? Amen. Some of you today, you need to let this word soak into your life. That you're blessed, that you're chosen, that you're called. That God's grace is still the fuel for your life. And we need to put it into action. Maybe some of us, we need to turn up the heat in our prayer life so that we can have greater understanding of God's word. Amen? And so let me pray for you, all right? And then after I'm done praying, we're gonna have a prayer team up front. If you need prayer for anything, man, they'd love to pray with you. Uh, there's ushers at the doors. If you, if, you, if you need to worship God with your tithes and offerings, you can do that on your way out today. But man, I love you as your pastor. I hope you come back next week. And man, um, if you see one of the people that got baptized, give them a high five and just congratulate them today. But thanks for being at Mosaic. Stand, I'm gonna pray just a, a challenging prayer as we dismiss. Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these generous blessings that you poured out on our life. God, if we are believers, help us to recognize the price that you paid for us and live in that grace every single day. God, help us to not take for granted this amazing gift that you've given us through the death of your son and resurrection. God, help us to not live from a place of scarcity, but to realize that you've poured out every spiritual blessing on our life that we need to take advantage of. God, help us to dive deep into our prayer life, trusting you for insight, spiritual wisdom, and understanding in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that we will never, ever, ever forget the grace that you have poured out on our life and that we can be people that are full of grace and giving grace to every single person that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.